0: In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. That is the standard way to begin a sermon in the Episcopal Church. Uh, I will out myself at this point and uh, tell you that most of the preaching I've done over the last handful of years has been in an Episcopal Church down in Baltimore City. And when it's my turn to preach, I begin that way, except I very often and almost always tweak the formula just a little. I say, in the name of the real God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. I'd just like to add that extra little layer of specificity, that the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is not just one in the cafeteria of gods that are available, he's the real God. The New York Times columnist Ross Douthat uh, has been selling the idea for a number of years now that the American public is not irreligious, only heretical. Uh, And I think he's right. He's right. Uh, uh, While we see waves of uh, aggressive secularism uh, trying to suppress religion in our public life, the American people as a whole... uh, are pretty religious it's just that as Ross Douthat says they believe a whole bunch of things which are wildly at variance with the historic creeds of the church and at variance with the core faith that brings you here today believe all kinds of things I've heard it my whole life you hear people say well my God would never do that My God would never say a thing like that. uh, Everybody's got a God. Um, It's it's very much a do-it-yourself project to to believe in God. You get to pick what kind of God you you want to believe in. Uh, In which connection, I, I would like just to mention that I saw a statement a couple of weeks ago that came from uh, the Reverend Tim Keller, a very gifted Presbyterian pastor in New York City, who said this, if your God always agrees with you, there's a good chance you're worshiping yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, we need to be careful and remember there actually is a real God. And somehow in these lives of ours, we need to find some way to lay hold of the real God and not be led off somewhere by, you know, all the other gods that, uh, that people think uh, are, are perhaps more agreeable. How do we find the real God? Well, you know the Bible itself never tries to argue for the existence of God. To the, to the writers of the Bible... God is not some abstraction. God is not an idea. God is not the conclusion of somebody's argument about theism. God is a perfect being who, from time to time, speaks in the first-person singular to human beings. He spoke to the patriarchs. He spoke to Moses spoke to the prophets, and later on, the apostles. The real God is not an idea. The real God's a speaker, an actor, somebody who comes into space and time, into our history, and does what he pleases to do. I have a person in my life, uh, he's actually a member of my family, who likes actually to to argue uh, about the existence of God. A couple of years ago, in a passing moment, he said to me, well, who is God? And having just been thinking about all of this business, I answered him by saying, well, whoever raised Jesus from the dead, that's God. This proved to be a great conversation stopper. He would much have preferred to discuss God as an abstract concept where he could argue with me and everything that I would say. But, But he was confronted with a God who, I say, has acted in history. That's the real God. That's the one with whom we need to do. You see this God in our readings today. I speak specifically of the Old Testament, and the Gospel readings. Here's Abraham. He's lived in a city called Ur for decades. He's, uh, he's got a whole lot more yesterdays than he has tomorrow's. He's, he's winding down his life. And who shows up but the real God and speaks to him? The man probably was enjoying his retirement And God says, Abraham, I will make a great nation of you. I will give you a land for your family to live in. And in you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. That's a momentous conversation, by the way. This gathering here today traces directly back to that moment. Because you are among those who are blessed. Because God spoke to Abraham. You are part of the fulfillment of what God spoke. God spoke to Abraham. He's there minding his own business, and here comes God, and he says this. case is a little different with Nicodemus. He actually sought out Jesus. Jesus, of course, is God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and uh, God has visited and redeemed his people in Jesus. And... uh, Nicodemus uh, is a Pharisee, but he's kind of a reach-across-the-aisle kind of guy, and he figures that honesty requires him to talk to Jesus and find out what he's really about. And so he goes and talks to Jesus, and he quickly finds himself in over his head. Here he's a teacher of Israel, but he doesn't understand some of the things that Jesus says are very, very basic But that's the way it is, you see, with with the God who speaks to us and who speaks to people in all ages, in all places. God's speech is intrusive, it comes to us when we perhaps would rather be listening to something else, but the real God comes and speaks. And there is, when God speaks, in both of these instances, Abraham and Nicodemus, there's an upside and a downside. And that tension is always there, and we cannot choose just one or the other. The upside with Abraham I've already mentioned. The man hadn't had a child even when he was young and pulsing with hormones. No kids for him and Sarah. They were an old couple, childless. And God comes and says, you're going to have a a family. And this family is going to bless the whole earth. There's the upside. The downside is, here's the catch. It's not going to happen with you staying here in your hometown. It simply won't happen. What you have to do is you've got to go to a land that I will show you. And you'll see all of this happen. And he did. He did. Abraham got up, packed his things, and said, well, where's this city? And God says, I can't tell you. Just follow me. I'll show you. Whereupon Abraham enters into years of his life, which will be stressful, dangerous, challenging, There's that point where God asks him to uh, sacrifice his long-awaited son, Isaac. It just about ripped his heart out to obey God, but but he did it. And he will go through many dangers, toils, and snares before he sees anything of the fulfillment of God's promise or even just the beginning of it. Great promise, but look what you have to do. To realize it, there's a gift, but there's a demand. The situation is uh, similar with uh, Nicodemus. Well, maybe not so uh, intensive. He just wants to have a theological conversation with Jesus. Remember, he is a member of the Pharisees, a leader of the Jews, the gospel says. And in the course of his conversation with Jesus, he hears about the possibility of a new birth. Now, I frequently say, "You couldn't pay me enough money to go back to grammar school," uh, and and that's the way he thought too. You know, that this simply involves you know doing my life over again. But it isn't. It is, as you know, uh, a, a regeneration of the heart an entirely new perspective, a whole new way of living that leads to eternal life. And he hears about that, and he hears about the fact that this God that he spent his life discussing actually doesn't want to condemn the world. He wants it to be saved, and that's why he sends his son into the world. And he hears all of these wonderful things, but there's a downside for him too. As a Pharisee, he's going to have to rethink and probably reorder his whole network Because his friends don't share his honesty. His friends don't share his openness to this man, Jesus. They will spend their time wringing their hands and complaining about the man until finally they've had enough of this, and they make concrete plans to have the man killed. And here's all All of his colleagues, all of his friends. What's he going to do with them? How can he quit his career, so to say, as a Pharisee and lay hold of what Jesus is saying? Well, he did. We find that uh, at the end of John's Gospel, when Jesus is being buried, only the most hardcore followers of Jesus were there. But one of them was Nicodemus. He was one of the ones who prepared a respectful and reverent burial for Jesus? So you see, the speech of the real God is intrusive. It tells us wonderful things, but calls us to a path that is not going to be easy. And I suspect that sometimes people who resist believing in God do so not because they've got some intellectual problem. You know, the evidence just—the evidence for God just doesn't add up. That's not the problem. I think that a lot of people who reject believing in the real God do so because they just don't need this kind of intrusion into life. They don't need to be told that they have to sacrifice themselves. They don't need to be told that they need to live for others. That's not their bag. They, they, they just can't see it. And everybody has to confront this. This is good news, but good news with a difficult calling. And here's some advice as we wrestle with this reality that Jesus offers us good news and a difficult calling. There was a man who died back in the 50s. His name was Jim Elliott. He was a, an American missionary he and I think three or four, I think there were four friends, tried to go to Ecuador to tell a tribe of Indians called the Alcas that Jesus loved them. They had a plane, and they managed to land their plane, and they wanted to establish a relationship with these Indians, and the Indians killed them, all five of them. They never, never got to say anything about Jesus. Jim Elliott, one of the missionaries, left behind some things that he'd written that have become uh, sort of spiritual classics. And one of the things that he said in uh, in his reflections on his faith was this. I'll paraphrase. You are no fool to give up something that you cannot keep, to gain something that you cannot lose. And that like the title, Righteousness on the Chest of Abraham, that is the title that he was willing to accept. I'm no fool to give up what I can't keep to gain what I can't lose. In that context, God speaks to us, to all of us. We trust that he will speak to us uh, Maybe like Abraham, when we're not expecting it, he'll just come out of nowhere. Maybe in the person of somebody we work with, or maybe in some event that's going to impact our lives. But somehow the real God will be there wanting to say something to us. Might happen on a Tuesday. And then God also speaks to us when we intentionally, like Nicodemus, come to engage with God. God. And that happens here. It happens at 10 o'clock for you on Sunday morning where there is available to you the Bible and the body and blood of Jesus and the community of the saints and the love that is expressed and the truth that is conveyed in the music. Thank you, choir. We... Come here expecting to meet the real God. Let me just tell you one thing and I'll be done here. I had a good friend, he died in uh, December. He's an Episcopal priest named Irv Brown. Irv, uh, I only knew him for about four years, but he's one of the dearest people I've ever met. He was a pastor, we would call it, in an Episcopal church somewhere in the Baltimore area. Back in the 70s. Back in the 70s was a time when black folk would arrive at white churches to attend worship, I suppose just to see if it could be done. And in, in, in a lot of places it couldn't. And Irv's people wondered what, what's going to happen if they come here. So the vestry, which is their version of the session, got together to have a meeting to devise a response what if black people come to our church? What do we do? One of the members of the vestry spoke this way. He said, well, I think what we should do is have a person, one of us, standing out on the front steps. And if they come here, we ask them, why are you coming here? My friend Irv spoke at that point. He said, I think that is a wonderful idea. In fact, I think you should ask it of every single person who walks up to that door. The idea was quickly withdrawn. <laughs> but I like to think that uh, if we can imagine somebody at the front door asking us each Lord's Day, why, why are you here? Why would you come here? Well, there's a lot of reasons, you know, it's a beautiful space, and there are wonderful people here, and the music is good, and, but I hope that a core reason for coming here will be that we want to meet the real God as he has revealed himself in Jesus of Nazareth, and to hear once again his intrusive speech that tells us good news and calls us on a new path. I've spoken all this in the name of the real God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.